Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I'd like to welcome everyone in the audience today and thank you for taking time to be with us as we help public, private, and nonprofit organizations tackle important broadband issues and getting this technology everywhere it needs to be in America. <clears throat> we are probably very uh, familiar with the uh, what most, what many folks refer to as gridlock in, in our political structure and coming out of Washington with gridlock between the two parties and so forth. Um, sometimes I think we forget that a lot of uh, policies and laws relating to broadband and, and community broadband efforts get formulated at the state level, and there, too, is where there's a danger of gridlock. But if we look and take a positive spin on this and say, well, what happens when we get parties working together uh, for the common good communities and, and, and supporting their efforts to get broadband uh, that this is a pretty much a net win for everyone involved. And, and I would even contend that broadband is somewhat of a nonpartisan issue. In a... So today you know, we are going to look at the, um, at the state legislative level and what goes on there and how we can get folks to work together and how constituents, more importantly, how we can get constituents to uh, come together behind their state legislatures and help them uh, work and achieve good things in, in broadband. So today we're going to be uh, talking to two uh, legislators from the state of Iowa. Uh, we have uh, Democratic State Representative Mary Gaskell, who um, is an assistant leader for the House Democrats uh, State House, and she sits on the economic growth, local government, ways and means, and the uh, administration and rules committee. On the uh, also on the call on the interview, we have uh, Republican State Senator Mark Shelgren, who is um, on the economic growth and rebuild Iowa. Uh, labor and business relations, uh, state government, and ways and means committees. So both of you, thank you very much for being a guest on uh, on the show today. Well, you're most welcome. Thank you. Not a, not a problem at all. Yes, and so um, it's kind of interesting. I'm working on a uh, needs assessment project in uh, a small town called Ottumwa in southeast uh, Iowa, and uh, both the uh, the guests today have um, participated in, in some of the activities that were there. Uh, Mary, I met at the um, at one of the uh, town hall meetings that we had. Mark uh, came into the Economic Development Office for a uh, sit-down chat about uh, broadband. We've exchanged some emails and so forth. And it's really great to see um, legislators getting involved uh, in something that's important at the local level. Is this way the the norm? Like, do you each of you typically um, participate in, in local activities and meetings and initiatives and so forth? We'll start with Mary. Well, yes, I I try to participate as much as I possibly can in the t what time allows me to participate mm -hmm. in local issues and and so that I know what's going on in my community and what my community needs. And uh, we had a meeting, oh, was it a year or so ago, starting with this, and I think Mark's been working on it for quite some time. I haven't been as involved, but um, mm -hmm. I'm definitely interested in, 
in pursuing this for the community. And Mark, I know yes, I I got, I got the uh the idea that you have been involved in this uh, for a while. Um I I spoke when I was talking to you guys earlier, I found out that Mary's been on um in the legislature lately. Yeah. Easy for me to say uh, for uh, for a number of years. And Mark, you're in year two of your first term as a as a senator, but you've you've rolled up your sleeves and gotten involved with uh, at least following Atoma's uh, activities as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I've been involved in economic development issues for the last dozen years or so. Mm-hmm. As a small business owner, um, I understand how important it is that um, high speed internet is accessible to both businesses and to individuals in a community. Um, you know, mm-hmm. there's an opportunity for communities to either step up to the 21st century or effectively to lag behind. And I think any community mm-hmm. that wants to have economic success going forward um, has to at least offer these services, um, you know, to, to a degree. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, let me check my notes here again. So both of you are involved uh, with economic development in terms of your committee assignments. Do you find that your other your your colleagues, the uh, co-committee folks, are uh, just as interested in broadband as as you two are? Let me start with Mark. Um, well, I really don't want to speak for for the rest of the people who are who are on those committees. I I don't know what their focus is on it. Um, mm-hmm. In the state of Iowa, the economic development has for the most part been uh, setting up a private part um, a public private partnership in order to expand uh, entrepreneurialism and investments. I think they're focused more on that side of it. Uh, There Mm -hmm. is a committee that's put together to try to understand what's going on with what's called the um, Iowa Communications Network, which is a high-speed network that was developed for the state, and try to see if that can be extended or expanded uh, to be able to use – to be used outside of government. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think that's the model we should be using. Um, I think that the best way and the most economical way for us to expand broadband is effectively through the open market and through you know uh, capitalism because the people who have a desire for it will pay for it and that will build the infrastructure for everyone else who has less means. Mm-hmm. Um, Mary, from your perspective, are you seeing um, uh, a lot of um, you know, interest in broadband at the uh, at the state house level? Well, there has been. I need to clarify one thing. This will be my first year on Economic Growth Committee. I have Ah, been serving on the State Government Committee and Mm -hmm. um, chose to be on Economic Growth this year because I wanted to focus on that aspect of because I believe that we need jobs so badly in our area. So I switched Mm -hmm. committees. But uh, it has been... A focus for quite some time. Uh, in 2009, we passed Senate File 376, which was uh, which uh, put together uh, it's called a Broadband Deployment Governance Board, and mm-hmm. we used some stimulus money to put that together. And there's people on. There's a 15 minute, 15 member board on that, and I'm still looking into that and and checking it out. Mark might have more information about that, but uh, Mm -hmm. it's on the web page is www.connectiowa.org. And uh, I see that they're planning to have uh, a summit, an Iowa Broadband Summit, empowering communities 
hosted with the economic development uh, on April 9th of 2013. So mm-hmm. they're they're working on it, and I know uh, Mark mentioned about the uh, the connections that we have now that the state uses, so where they connect the um, the cities and the uh, court system and the counties and the schools and that is a government owned state of Iowa owns that and uh, whether or not that's been a really big discussion about whether or not we use that or whether we go into private industry and mm-hmm. uh, that's still in as far as I know in the discussion phase right now mm-hmm now, one of the things, I, I don't know how many people, you know, sort of your average constituents um, <clears throat> that are involved in uh, that are involved in broadband projects, but um, one of the issues that, that, that comes into play, I guess, are the dynamics that comes into play when, you know, sort of we as citizens are looking to um, influence action at the, at the state legislature level is that um, just many, many of your you and your colleagues have day jobs, right? And plus the fact the Senate doesn't, or the, Senate, the, the legislature doesn't meet for uh, a sizable portion of the year. Um, is, that, is that correct? I mean, you, the, the many state legislators um, are, they, in other words, they're doing this uh, elected official role as a half-time or part-time basis, or am I wrong in, in my understanding of your legislature? No, that's accurate. We are a part-time legislature, and so we effectively meet from the first week of January till somewhere around the, the end of May. I would say that's probably mm-hmm. more, more the average than not. Um, and most of us do have other jobs or other careers, and um, being a legislator is um, something that we look at as our civic duty, and so we do that um, on top of our regular work. Mm-hmm. So how can uh, communities – do two things. One, help educate uh, legislators about the importance of broadband because, um, you know, you, you have a lot of things to do in a short time to do them, and not everyone is technology literate. So you basically have this, you know, as I would understand it, this learning curve that you have to get people past, and, and, and so you have, to, you have to educate them. And then the next part is you're trying to motivate them to, uh, to, to take action and move things forward, right, to stay on track with, you know, statewide broadband initiatives, uh, either, you know, specifically for your state or just in a general sense, you know, how do we do that? What's the best way to educate a, a um, you know, a, a legislator on well, broadband? I think everyone pretty much has the, their own choices as to about how to be educated, uh, some would prefer to, particularly if they're working, have a you know web page or information sent to them or a web page provided where they could go in and learn from. Others would prefer to have a um, meetings across the state or at the state house when we're in session so that we can uh, sit in on a learning experience. Yeah. 
I'm kind of concerned about your question. I mean, one of the questions, the question as I took it was that how do you educate lawmakers on the importance of broadband? I don't think a lot of legislators um, don't understand that broadband and, and high-speed Internet access is important. Um, I think mm-hmm. the question ends up being is how do you implement that? How do you take something that we've identified as being important and implement it into a system? Uh, I think that's the bigger question by far than what the actual, you know, trying to tell somebody this is an important issue and here's some facts about it. Um, I don't think anybody has a whole lot of questions about whether or not it's important or whether or not it helps with the economic prosperity of the state or of the, or of the local government. I think they just want to know how how it would be integrated across the state and Mm-hmm. And just some general knowledge about it, I think, would be helpful for a lot of legislators. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the structural the structural side of it, I agree with. Right. Right. And um, now, do you think the people – well, let's try this a different way. In the corporate side, in the private sector side, um, which is where I actually worked before getting involved in community broadband um, – you had a better chance of helping people understand the importance of a particular technology if they used it. But if you found that they they didn't use it, you know, it sort of made the job very difficult. And, in fact, that was often a, a, a challenging point of, you know, how do, how do we get past this whole issue that, you know, for example, uh, one client would sell a product uh, to help people manage their calendars. But you say, well, if, yeah, but the executives in our company have someone print out their emails uh, because they don't even understand how to work, you know, the email application. And so you sit back as a company or as a, you know, as a marketing person and go, well, how do I overcome this when they don't have any kind of direct experience? Um, do you feel that that's an issue within uh, the, the state legislature, that there are people who uh, don't use the technology that much and then maybe that shades some of their perception of its, of its value or, or that kind of thing? I think that would be a, a pretty small minority of the of the legislators. Uh, you know, I can think of a few that might fit in that category, but by far the mm-hmm. majority of legislators both understand, um, you know, high speed connectivity. They understand, you know, they, they use laptops, they use, you know, iPads or or, or personal devices, and so I, I don't think that that's as much of an issue now as it may have been even five or ten years ago. Excellent, excellent. So I was even three that years ago, probably. I'm sorry I interrupted, but even no, 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 three no, years ahead, ago, I think that uh, you've got smartphones now, and a lot of them use smartphones and and uh, work with their emails and setting up calendars on the computers and all of that. But as far as the application of, of uh, what's needed, I think you mentioned at one time something about uh, uh, hospitals and and using it in that area. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, so every- being able to understand what their their needs are would be where I would start as far mm-hmm. as what businesses' needs are. And Mark being in business probably has a really good idea and a good grasp on that. Not everybody is a business person that's up there. We have farmers and we have, you know, secretaries and uh, nurses and all kinds of different uh, jobs. Mm-hmm. 
so in in some respects the legislature should be treated very much as the uh, as, a, as any typical community you're going to have different people that have different areas of expertise and 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 experience and so broadband has to be made real for their respective I don't know, areas of focus or interest or profession even. I would agree with that, yes. Considering them a community is a good way to look at it, yes. Mm-hmm. Now, we we see the, the kind of stuff that um, become issues in Washington where, uh, you know, gridlock becomes the norm. Um, how, how did the state legislative level, do you not necessarily you you individually, but I mean you in the general sense, how does how does one how does one work with that? I, I've never been an elected official so I don't have the sort of the inside experience. Um but I'm wondering how does one you know, you sort of come into this this group and you know you want to get stuff done. Uh how do we how do we try to avoid the craziness that goes on in Washington? I'm not sure we do. Um, you know, I think you know. I think Washington is its own animal, and it's pro- probably by far worse than any place else. Um, but you mm-hmm. know, I think the state legislators also. You know, um, here in Iowa, we have a split legislature. We have a Republican-controlled House, a Democrat-controlled Senate, and so things move very, very slowly. And only things that everybody can agree on seem to have any opportunity to to, to advance past simply having it pass one chamber and then be used for. Uh, marketing purposes. I mean, for the most part, they'll pass a bill, you know, one group will or the other group will, and then they'll use it for marketing in the next election cycle. But it was never intended to actually be law, which is unfortunate. I think you should only submit bills that you intend to be for the best interest of the people of the state. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I would say on economic growth, we've tried to work together for years on that and come to uh, resolutions as far as that is concerned particularly if we know it's good for our communities. And um, I think that getting going before such as an economic growth uh, committee and making a presentation, because when we have committee work, uh, the chairs ask, is there someone that you would like to know as members of the committee that could make a presentation to help uh, educate the people, the the committee members, they, they're they open to that. And I think mm-hmm. that's where you start. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and so in, in other words, in casting economic development terms, you have a historical precedent of working together to begin with and so that makes it maybe easier than to address broadband issues. I would assume that's accurate. Yeah, that's my, okay. Um, hmm. In um, looking at things that are going on in this, I'm sorry, Mary, you had a, you had a comment. Well, I just had another comment. Many times uh, we we want the same things, but. We go. We want to go about it in a different way, and mm-hmm. or someone who has knowledge about how it should be done to bring that into the committee would be helpful. Mm-hmm. Now, I think one of the big 
divides or dividing issues, if you will, in broadband has been this issue of um, you are dealing with free market issues, right, because broadband is indeed a product, but at the same time you're dealing with uh, issues of the public good. I mean, are people getting able, you know, a bit better able to, get a, able to get a better education? You have, you know, the digital divide where, you know, rural areas do not necessarily get the same access as uh, urban areas and so forth. So, well, I want to sort of each of you to kind of address the issue of how do you resolve the, um, you know, the private sector good uh, against the and not against, but you've got the private sector issues on one side, you've got the public good and issues that don't necessarily return an ROI to folks on the other. How, how do you resolve or how do you see trying to resolve those those issues? And we can start with Mark this time. Well, I think that's a really good question. Um, you know, for me, it's pretty straightforward because I look at everything from that ROI. Um, you know, mm-hmm. as a business person, um, I would not invest my money in something that I didn't feel either had a return on investment from a financial perspective or had a return on investment from some type of, you know, charitable uh, perspective. You know, not every mm-hmm. investment made has to have a, a financial windfall with it. Um, in order to, um, I guess, look a little more into detail on that, as a legislator, I believe that it's my job to make as frugal and as efficient of investments of the taxpayer's money as I would my own. And so I kind of look at it that way. So I try to figure out, okay, what should I be investing in in this process and what provides the best overall benefit for the state of Iowa for the resources that we have available to us? And so I still look at it from return on investment. But I think, you know, the system will collapse if everything you do is charity. Uh, For my company, I make parts for wheelchairs. When I first started Mm -hmm. my company, I wanted to give wheelchair components to everybody in the world who needed them because, you know, people would call up and they'd say, I'm in a wheelchair, I need your help, your product would help change my life. And so – trying to be nice, I would give products away. One day I had an investor come to me and say, if you continue to do this, you'll help a few hundred people, and you'll probably feel good about what you've done, but you'll be done. I mean, you'll, you, you, can't, you can't go long-term successful that way. Well, by making sure that I made a profit of my company, I've been able to help almost a million people. There's a huge, huge incentive to do it right for a long-term success. You know, I'm sure uh, states and local governments all over this country have made short-term investments that failed because they weren't looking at the long-term benefits and whether or not this would be something that would cycle over a long period of time. You know, broadband is going to be a long-term investment, and we need to make mm-hmm. sure we do, it, we do it in the right way. And the more we can put that capitalist benefit out there for companies to invest, the better off we are. Um, you know, we had a conversation mm-hmm. when you first came out here, and we talked about whether or not a company that invests in infrastructure such as high-speed Internet, whether or not we should be penalizing them by increasing their property tax rates, you know, because that disincents them long-term in making those investments. Simply by working to eliminate that risk, then companies can see what their short-term investments are and what their long-term opportunities are. If those long-term risks are always changing because legislators or even people at the at the at the uh, city and the and the county levels change their minds on what the tax rates are going to be, that can throw the numbers off that no one's willing to make that risk of investing into those types of technologies. And we need to make sure we eliminate all of that guesswork if possible. 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to actually come back to that conversation because I think Iowa has a very interesting situation relative to tax or property tax as it relates to telcos. But Mary, I want to get your your feedback on the you know resolving the the public good issues and the you know private sector's need to make a profit issue. Well, I understand that that need to make to make a profit. Uh, we I think we, as the legislature we need to take that in consideration as part of our uh, making it available for people. We also need to have it available, it seems to me, when particularly when you're talking about education purposes, it needs to be available not only for those who can totally afford it, but also available for others who and we need to take that into consideration because I don't think we want to leave a lot of people behind. Right. Right, right. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um now to, to come back to the, to the tax issue that I'm that uh, that Mark brings up, it seems that well actually Mark, you're probably the best person to explain it because from I was hearing about it for the first time and it struck me as odd, or maybe that man, maybe it happens in other states. I'm not sure, but it seems like you guys have this weird way of, of taxing uh, infrastructure, at least broadband infrastructure or telecom infrastructure, folks. What's that all about? Well, basically, the challenge we run into at this point is that um, we're all familiar, I think, or most people are familiar with property tax. If I own a piece of property and it's worth $100,000, I'm going to pay property tax on that of a certain dollar amount per year in order to maintain it. And usually then if we were to build a house on that property and it increased in value, we would increase the amount of property tax we put into it. That's called real property. It's something that's physical. Mm-hmm. It's actually there. Right. Well, in the world of telecommunications, there is the real property, which is, for instance, it could be the lines, it could be the, you know, the wires, it could be the junction boxes. That's all part of it. But they also will tax what's called intangible property, which has to do with the software development and a lot of other support um, uh, products that we would have a hard time recognizing as being tangible assets. And so sometimes the investment into those things um, is the the challenge. So if a company is going to go out there and invest a million dollars in wiring a small community, they believe that their investment should be the million dollars, and then therefore they can draw a return on that investment over the next 20 years, and it'll pay for itself. What they're not calculating is, in that investment of a million dollars, they have an ongoing payment of their property taxes now of, say, $200,000, $250,000, $300,000 a year, and that drains all the profitability out of that investment. And so mm-hmm. there's, there's, there have been companies that have made those investments only to regret them and therefore not invest in any other communities. There are other companies that have learned from those mistakes and said, well, we're going to hold back and we're only going to go very, very slowly in this process of wiring because we don't know if we can trust the city councils, the counties, not to immediately look at us as a tax um, you know, revenue generator as much as somebody who's helping the community. And so I think the, the, the question is when a telco comes in there or somebody comes in to invest in a community for high-speed Internet access, are they an ally of the city council? Are they an ally of the county supervisors? Or are they suddenly going to be something where they're looking at as simply a, a deep pocket where they're going to be taxed basically until they no longer can compete? And that becomes the challenge. And I think that needs to be resolved before the investment's made and not after the, after the fact. I think after the fact, 
it's very difficult because there's there's really no negotiating room left for that group that's already invested that million dollars into a community, and now all of a sudden they're stuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary, what's your 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 take on that? Is that one of those areas where uh, it would it makes rational sense to uh, to streamline the process more in line with you know let's call it typical property uh, taxation versus and I'm assuming that this particular telco situation came from some time long ago or uh, at least a number of years ago right because I mean in Washington they're dealing with issues of legislation that was passed in '96 when there were just telephone companies and not a whole lot of uh, you know internet companies. You know, maybe we have sort of this legacy issue. I don't know, but what, what's your, what are your thoughts, Mary? Well, right now at the moment, I haven't looked at that closely, but it's I I thought that the uh, wiring and all of that type of thing was assessed at the state level, and it was sent back down to the locals to uh, in that valuation was was sent to the locals. I didn't realize that they were doing the um making the decisions about the taxation. I thought that was at the state level as far as communication lines and all of that type of thing. And mm-hmm. it seems to me we've been working on that for the last few years and since I haven't been on that committee particularly I'm not certain about how all of that is working. Mm-hmm. So, so well, I'm part. trying to get better educated about it uh, and see where the pitfalls are, et cetera, so that I can um, better understand it, but also to be able to answer your questions a little bit better. Well, <laughs> I'll go ahead and give a couple things, because Mary, for the most part, is correct, that there is the state is who kind of defines how those property taxes are 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 assessed, but mm-hmm. there's mechanisms that the local government have, um, whether that be through abatement or through, in the state of Iowa, we have what's called a TIF, and the local governments can utilize those tools and those mechanisms to effectively exempt those telecom companies from those investments, and that's what can be negotiated at the local level. And so even though the state does give the broad framework for it, there are some specific local exemptions that are available that can be negotiated between the, uh, the the companies that are making the investment and the local boards, uh, whether that be like said city council or the county supervisors. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting uh, it's an interesting dilemma. So, from your perspective, uh, I guess maybe Mark, um, are the telco laws that that govern situations currently are they? I don't know. Were they something that were passed say a decade or so ago, or? Are they? Are you working with more recent uh, telco-related or communications laws? Oh, we're still we're still dealing with legacy issues from 40 years ago, not just 10 years ago. And oh, it was quite some time ago that it was that those laws were in place and they need to be upgraded. Well, I'll give mm-hmm. you an example: is you know, if, if you're a phone company, you're required to have phone service pretty much to every property in the state of Iowa, regardless of how far off the grid it might be, and because right. of that because you need to have somebody who has access to a 911 number, et cetera, there are mandatory state and federal charges associated with that. And so the telephone companies are working from very much a, um, a disadvantage in competing in the open market. But then you have uh, telecommunications companies coming in, you know, high-speed wireless. Um, you have companies that come in and provide 
uh, cable services, and they're all looked at from a different perspective, and so they're not all playing by the same rules. That's one of the challenges we have also is that as opposed to having a free market, which can come in and have different groups or different businesses competing all for a, a similar um, you know, marketplace, each of them could be coming from different regulatory backgrounds, and each of them have different sets of rules they have to play by. And so there, there really isn't a cohesive um, framework that we can encourage that kind of investment yet. Um, I think mm-hmm. that's something that's being worked on in, you know, both in the House and the Senate in the state of Iowa trying to get that cleaned up. But at the same time, um, you know, a phone company is treated very different than a cable company, which is treated very different than a high-speed Internet company. And those well, are for instance, your phone, your phone companies fall under the Iowa Utilities Boards, and your cable companies do not. So they have rules and regulations that are overseen, the telephone companies that are overseen by the Iowa Utilities Board, the cable companies do not. Mm-hmm. So there's... There's a lot of, as Mark says, they are treated differently. And, no, and well, at like, one time the cables couldn't provide telephone service, and and the telephone company couldn't provide uh, access to TV, you know, and and that has changed, and we need to change mm-hmm. with it. Now, one of the issues, though, in in all of this, I think that gets people, some people, nervous is that, yes, the, telco, the telecom companies at one point had mandatory requirements as far as servicing communities, and that was done so that, in essence, people wouldn't be thoroughly, totally left out of, you know, telephone communication because it was considered vital. And what we have now are um, newer companies, you know, cable companies. You have Internet service providers and so forth. I would think that you still, in, in whatever you do to resolve these issues, that you still want to somehow uh, make sure that the public good is addressed, or does this have to take a back seat for, um, you know, in, in the efforts of, you know, making folks, uh, making sure that private sector companies can, can play in this, in this game? I don't know, either one of you can kind of... Well, I I don't think we need to – first of all, I think that it's important that we have um, an an Internet service provider that can provide to the far reaches of each community. Also, that everyone in the community who, you know, regardless of financial means, has the ability to get get into the network. So I think that that is what the, the ultimate goal is. The question is, how do we get there? And you know, and for me, when I start looking at those types of things, um, I realize that we're not going to be able to wire everything um, immediately. But where the telephone companies originally had a monopoly and were considered to be a, um, a utility, um, the question now comes down to: Is the telephone services are no longer exclusive to telephone companies? It can be done over the internet, just mm-hmm. like the media companies that provide you with, um, you know, your television no longer have exclusivity because those can also be provided through the Internet. So the Internet has effectively kind of transcended both telephone communication and uh, media uh, you know, su- supply channels, and so now it is the dominant factor. And the question is, do we make it a utility, or do we allow it to maintain as a free market enterprise that we can then control effectively as legislators, uh, you know, both from the state and from the local areas, by incentivizing them to do what we need them to do. Like, for instance, if we want to have an area that is economically um, you know, deprived and we want that area wired, 
Well, that's part of the contract that we signed for them to give them the larger area where they're making money. So the idea is, as opposed to making a huge amount of money in a small area, you'll make less money in a large area, but you won't get the contract unless you agree to it. Those are the kind of things that give a lot of leverage and a lot of power to a city council or to a uh, county supervisors or, to, you know, in some cases, to even to, into to the state legislatures. Mm-hmm. Mary, your thoughts? Well, I, I just I, I see um, what we're speaking of. The, the thing that's going through my mind is, okay, usually these things start on a local basis. And they keep going from community to community and and get the growth going, and then it you know ends up at the state level and by the time it gets there, we've got a really big mess usually mm-hmm. so is it something that we want to start at the state or oversee at the state level from the beginning to see that it's well coordinated? And and everybody gets access, and I think that's what you're saying too. Do we need to keep that in mind? Right. Uh, you know, the, it's a balancing act. I mean, Baltimore. Yes. I think what it comes down to is it's it's a balancing act. And, and how so we my... do that, how mm-hmm. we do that, and make it open enough so that it can be competitive for uh, people to make money at it is. I think the question that we haven't found the answer for. Hmm. Now, the next question that I've always kind of dealt with is: so you've got you've got a balancing act, um, and and obviously somewhere in there is a is a middle ground. You lean maybe more to one side than the other, but we'll we'll call it a middle ground for now. How do we as citizens in our community? How do we have some sort of um, uh, participation or impact in the uh, in the decision making? Because you know, I, and I think this is a sort of a maybe a philosophical issue because it governs many things. I mean, you know, I wake up in the morning and you know I have issues, a number of issues that may be addressed by the state. But it's like, well, how do I how do I do? I'm not even sure who my state legislator is, and and so forth and so on. But I'm I'm a big champion of that participation, that consumer, that, you know, grassroots community, whether it's, you know, the businesses in the community or the uh, nonprofits or just the average citizen, that at that local level, how do you how do you get into the game? And I'll start with Mary on this one. Well, getting into the game, if you're working to the state level, is to contact your local, find out who your local representative and senators are and um, sit down and visit with them and and talk it over with them and give them some insight as to what you see as a good way to handle the situation. And, And then from there, ask if there is other people within the state organization that you need to talk to. And could they help you connect with those people? Mm-hmm. So you're you're basically saying, you know, get on the phone, do some research, find a point person, if you will, within the legislative within the legislative group, um, because it's not even just so much about connect. Uh, I'm guessing is connecting your to your own legislature, but it also depends on which 
committees they're on. In other, in other words, you know, you or someone in, in another part of the state may have an issue that's economic, you know, that the economic uh, growth committee would uh, be involved in, but it may not be their state uh, rep or their state uh, senator who's on that committee. So they, they almost have to do a two-step, right? They'd have to get in touch with someone at the office for the for the legislator and then figure out who directly influences that type of bill or that type of initiative. If I'm I following the... My answer to that is to, I, I say you start with your local people and mm-hmm. ask for their help in making the connection with those others that that they know who can help you because I mm-hmm. think you need that bridge uh for them to for them for the other person to recognize that uh it's important to the, their fellow legislator. Right, okay. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Uh Mark, how would you or I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. You no, I'm done. Oh, okay. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I, I think Mary has kind of um, articulated the traditional way to do it, and I, I think that's probably a fine way to go. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I can tell you that I, I would guess that Mary um, does the same thing I do, which is I also read my local paper on a regular basis. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I read the, uh, the you know the headlines, I read the local section of it, and then I also read the opinion pages and the letters to the editor. Um, I think in a lot of cases, um, you know, once you've gone through and maybe talked to your local senator or your local um, representative. Uh, one thing to do also is maybe write um, a, a very logical description of what you want done and ask for the local paper to put it into there as a letter to the editor. Um, in a lot mm-hmm. of cases, you know, I know I see those things. I, I'm pretty sure Mary does, and, mo- and most legislators read their local papers on a, re- on a relatively regular basis. And so not only will they be able to see what you might be saying and what you think is important, they'll also be able to see people who may respond to that and be able to see both sides of the argument kind of in black and white, and it also builds a consensus. If you find you know, eight or nine people who come up to you on the street and say, hey, I read what you said, and that's a great idea. I love what you've got. Have you thought about this? It also kind of builds on those ideas, and um, so I would recommend people, um, you know, go through that part of it because I think that can influence your um, your legislators also. Mm-hmm. Now, is there value in the, I don't know, we'll call it the traditional means of, uh, you know, localizing in mass, which are, you know, there are petition drives, there are, I know that in, in other states uh, serious uh, back and forth over the rights of municipalities to uh Works. Uh, people, I mean, they've. I'm not hearing you. Uh, committee meetings and so forth in order to try to influence the process. I mean, is that still viable? Do people still uh, in, in Iowa? Yeah, that's still that's still done in Iowa. Um, you know, I think it comes down to what, what your goals are with it. You know, when we're talking about you know high speed internet, it's not like you're going to have a block of of legislators saying we don't want technology we're going to fight against technology i don't think that's what your what your fear is going to be you know the question ends up being is um you know what kind of funding mechanisms you know how much money are we going to put at some at an issue like this you know and in the state of iowa you know we have a relatively large land mass in the state of iowa but we have very rural communities and so mm-hmm. i don't think this is something that's going to be a top down mandated type of process I very much think this is going to be something where, for the most part, the, the state of Iowa needs to say, listen, we're going to kind of take our hands off, we're going to loosen the reins up a bit, and we're going to let the individual communities try to expand through what's going on. And then hopefully, 
the individual communities will build a plan that works, and then you'll see that repeated over and over in, in, in other communities that, that maybe have been a little more patient or just kind of watching the process. Mm -hmm. So you're saying, in essence, take action to kind of force the issue or shape a direction and then try to get other folks to say, hey, you know, this is how we solve this particular problem or issue or what have you. Absolutely. There's a lot of communities in Iowa that have already done a great job with high-speed Internet and, um, you know, in the process. I mean, you know, Atum was right next to a community called Fairfield, and it's, it's entirely mm -hmm. wired. Um, there's many right. small communities in this area that, that have already done that, and they have faced both successes and failures, and I think that gives an opportunity for other communities to learn from those. Right, because Indianola, India, Indianola is the community in Iowa that did a broadband network. I'm not, maybe I'm confusing my... Indianola oh. is, is a community in Iowa, yes. If that's okay, so yeah, they have a, yes, they have a, they have a community uh, broadband network. So let me run a couple of, um, I don't know, I think these may be philosophical, but I just kind of want to get your take on those in terms of solutions, right? So one solution that's often put forth is that um, we should make the larger companies uh, open, provide open access to their infrastructure in many similar ways that when, um, oh, when, the, when, the, when Mom was broken up and that there, was, there was a you know, rule that they had to open their infrastructure. And that's basically how we got a lot of the advances in wireless and cellular and so forth. Um, what are your thoughts on open a, a mandate? And we'll start with Mary on this one. Oh well, I missed the question because it kind of no. cut out. Oh, sorry. Um, open access infrastructure. So making it in sense, mandatory in light of the public good that uh, large telcos would have to share their, um, their infrastructure with other smaller companies uh, as a way to provide, to encourage both competition, but also to provide a, a level playing field, if you will, in, in the space. So you're talking about the large uh, telephone companies in the state of Iowa and forcing them to um, provide uh, Access to their networks is that what I'm hearing, or right? And maybe with the thing of you know, I think right now they're they have they do have access, but there is a charge for that mm -hmm. on over the line. So somehow that's how they work it. It's my understanding. I I'm have not discussed that totally with with folks to know exactly how that works. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm certainly open to learning. And I know I've talked with uh, tele telecoms and, uh, for instance, you know, on the um, cell phones and how that goes mm -hmm. through their lines and and uh, they end up, there. there is a charge for that, for that going through their their lines. So I'm assuming uh, what your question is that we sh that we should say because they have the lines that they have to provide it without a charge. Is that no, no, not so much they provide it without a charge, but um, there, there's a philosophical discussion going on. And, well, maybe it's a political discussion going on. We're inside advocate for uh, access, open, free open access. 
But basically, if I'm a small once in the market, I can't shut in pipe that runs through that particular uh, community. Well, at this time, I'm not sure I have a a, um, a good answer for your question. Um, okay, no, that's fair. Um, uh, Mark, what are you, what are your thoughts? Well, first of all, I appreciate that Mary doesn't have an answer to your question because I think any legislator who would tell you that they were for the government coming in and taking over the lines and making decisions that are business decisions on ownership by a private company or private individual, what you're basically telling them is if you own infrastructure, don't make any more investments in it because we might steal it in the future. And so yeah, I think it would be right. very, very, very poor for any legislator to come out and say, oh, yeah, we would agree that we should socialize a certain industry to go ahead and take their assets. Because if I own a small telecom company and I start hearing those rumors going around in the background and you have legislators talking about, oh, well, we're just going to take it over, what there's, there's absolutely no more money I would sink into my infrastructure, no more investments I would make until I was sure that that information was completely off the table. Because if you're talking about stealing someone's investment and making sure that they can that you get to control how they do it, that's a very poor way to be a legislator. Well, and it's also oh, going yes, to hurt your state's your, your state's growth. Right. Well, I think so. I'm thinking. Yeah. Okay, but one one of the things I'm thinking about is there are large telecom companies that have uh, <clears throat> subsidies and tax breaks and so forth. They've accepted state or federal grants, and so for example, when we had the broadband stimulus. Uh, uh, a few years ago, one of the deals was if you took a grant from the the stimulus program, and in return for that, you had to open access. It wasn't that the government had control right. over your network, but what you were basically saying is that if you take $20 million to build a network or a network infrastructure in the state of Iowa or Louisiana or what have you, yep. it had to be that other folks would be able to use that and if they were using your services, they would, you know, they would there would be fair compensation, but it wouldn't be a situation where, you know, I run a cable and no one can use that cable. Right. No, I understand I you when you, when you're talking about government money. You're talking about basically a stimulus package paid for by taxpayers. Then effectively, companies that take that money are being treated effectively for that investment as a utility. I understand that completely. But if I'm a company okay. that's taking that money and I've I've committed to have let you have access to certain parts of my company then I'm not putting any more of my personal money or any more of my of my investors' money into that system anymore. You've just effectively, by adding government money to the mix, you've effectively corrupted that whole process of making money on it. And so this company is going to probably spin off a subsidiary company, which will fill that commitment to let its products open up, and all new investments are now going to go into a separate group because most private investment doesn't, does not follow public investment. Public investment is a replacement for private investment. They don't work very well together. And so I would feel bad for a company that took that money initially and somehow expected that long-term they were going to either get more government money or felt that somehow they were going to get private money put on top of it. Because once you sign away your rights to the government because you wanted government money, your, your overall long-term growth plan is pretty much tied to the success or failure of that government. Right. No, I, I I understand what you're saying. I'm going to make one point from the from the chat room, and I have one other question I want to get out of here. And make sure I, make sure we don't run out of time. And this is more of an observation. It's basically that in the in the '96 Telecom Act, um, there was a requirement that they unbundle their networks. 
In other words, open up their networks. Um, and as a result, several competitive industries grew out of that process. Mm-hmm. And so, the and I think there are a number of folks I see here typing away rather rather uh, uh, aggressively here in, in the chat room is about um, in that scenario, the government didn't own lines and take over the lines, but they basically said you have to you have to share the lines. And as a result of that, it led to greater competition and it led to new industries. So I kind of throw it out to the audience in general as, as maybe the, uh, another side of the, of the discussion. Um, the other question that has come through um, uh, here is that, you know, we're reading a lot about, um, let me find that, the American Legislative Exchange Council and their uh, role in uh, state legislate in state legislatures um, influencing or lobbying on behalf of certain um, uh, things that they want to have done is and it's just an opinion thing, but from your you know in your opinion, but is, is Alec a, a, a factor in in Iowa? I mean, do they do they are, are there a lot of people members? Do they? Uh, they seem to be, you know, trying to advance certain legislation. Are they a presence? I guess is the best way to phrase that, at least in your observation. Well, I assume they're a presence. I'm not a member of Alex, so I really don't pay much attention to what they do. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I know there's at least a few other legislators who are, but I don't know. The, I don't know the percentages or the quantity by any means. Okay. Um, do you have any thoughts? I mean, do they have they well, come there to are, your mind? Well, there are there are some members who are some members of our legislature who are members of ALEC, and there are some bills that have been formulated on uh, their recommendations. Um, I'm, it, they do play a factor, in, uh, particularly in the House, um, but um, at this time I, I think they're uh, a less influence than what they were. Okay, because I think the question that that brings up, or sort of the unspoken question here, or you know, in in some of the audience here, is that um, talk about citizen participation, right? And there's precedents for how we do that, but how strong are the, you know, the rank and file consumers and local businesses uh, relative to? Uh, you know, large industries that can send their associations or their representatives to uh, to show up and try to influence legislation. It's a question of, you know, how strong is the consumer's voice versus the the industry's voice, especially when you have these stations trying to balance, trying to strike a balance between the two. You know, are the scales of representation, meaning the scales of people coming, you know, those who come to the front door, uh, are they are they balanced, or do citizens, you know, communities have to work harder to get their voices heard? Well, it, I think, and my experience at the state house has been that the legislators listen to their local people, and they hear their local people, and then they work that and try to work it in with what they're hearing from other places and um i i believe that our legislature does listen well to their consumers and their people if that's your uh, question 
Right, right. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's a balance thing. Do we have so so basically what you're saying is that you, know, you guys are, are fairly uh, responsive to the local community, which is basically I think the and in my opinion anyway has been the primary job of a representative is is to listen you know locally, if not more definitely on par information and so forth. Um, we got about four minutes. Let me ask this uh, one question, probably the last question for each of you, which is what would be your personal primary goal for broadband for say the next year? What would you you know what would you like to you know see accomplished or help accomplish in in your in your respective roles? And we will start with Mark this time. Yeah, for me, um, you know, you you had said that you know you, the, the chat room was asking questions with regards to to um, dealing with the old telecom companies. You know, mm-hmm. one thing about the old telecom companies is you have to realize the difference between a utility, okay, which pays a whole different tax rate, usually a favorable tax rate, in exchange for doing what the government has told it needs to do, and usually gets subsidies for that. Um, whether those subsidies be direct money in or a decrease in overall what it has to pay in its uh, income uh, income tax, so. A utility doesn't really count as um, a straight-up corporation that's just a for-profit corporation. So there is a, definitely a difference between a telephone company and, at this point, people who are investing in broadband, because most broadband is not considered to be a utility yet. Um, the best thing that we can do, though, in order to spur investment into broadband, therefore networking the entire country, networking you know disparate parts of the state, is effectively to um, make sure that there's not a penalty associated with that investment. You know, I talked about it a little bit earlier. You know, when we um, effectively penalize a company for making an investment, because we're going to go ahead and we're going to charge them additionally for their uh, for their property taxes that are going to increase with their investment, that in its own right is something that's going to make those companies move a lot much slower, take their time, and it's going to slow the entire process down. You know, the other side of it is, as any business grows, they look at what their benefits are going to be. You know, um, it, it's expensive to hire employees now. It's expensive to, you know, uh, to, to understand what the regulations, both at the federal and state levels, are going to be. You know, one thing that we need to do, and I, I, I really enjoy, actually, in the last few months talking to Mary about different things, because more and more it's a matter of us coming together saying, okay, what can we do not just to see what parts of things we agree on, but also then to articulate that to our constituents, to the people in the area, so they know that a cohesive, consistent message is going forward. Therefore, is the game plan going to change? Any mm-hmm. business that's successful needs to have about a five-year game plan at minimum just to make those investments of what they need to do. And if they don't know what their taxes are going to be next year because the federal government hasn't gotten their act together, or they don't know what the regulatory burdens are going to be you know, two years from now because the state hasn't decided what it's doing, or it can't work with a local, with a, a city or a county because, you know, they don't have a, co- a consistent, cohesive message. It's very difficult for businesses to, to to make those gambles and make those investments in the communities. So consistency is a huge issue for it. Okay, uh, Mary, less than thir- less than a minute. What's your primary goal broadband wise for the year? I would say that the primary goal is to uh, see where we are as a state and what uh, our localities are and set forth a plan that everyone uh, knows what the plan is. I hear Mark keeps saying consistency, and I think that's true. That's what we need 
Otherwise, uh, the thing that upsets me tremendously is if the state of Iowa says we're going this way and then all of a sudden change their mind and set forth another path and leave those business people holding the bag. And I think that's absolutely wrong. It discourages people to take chances, and that's what you have to do when you're a business person. So I'm, I want to set a, a path that everybody can live with. Great. And with that, that's a wrap for our show, and I want to thank both of you for being our guest today. And I will expect to be talking to you guys. Have a great day. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Bye.